Our scripture scripture reading for today is Acts 10, 1 through 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Before I start, Kylie, thank you for uh, taking the initiative to... Bring that knee before everybody. Put that back there. And Chad, thank you for making my name even more memorable. Uh, I will never, I I don't think I'll ever be able to brush my teeth and think of my name the same way again. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for this passage and uh, for the the opportunity that we have to, to spend a couple of weeks looking at this story from a few different angles and what it is that Peter and his ministry has to teach us today. And so Lord, as we, as we jump into uh, a hard topic today, uh, please help us to, um, please help us to have ears to hear 
uh, and eyes to see what it is that you are doing for Peter and what you are doing for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last week, I introduced you all to the concept of Christendom and pre-Christendom and post-Christendom. I would love to spend more time talking about that today, but I don't have that time. So I'm going to introduce you to a new topic today, and then in the coming weeks, we'll bring these different threads together. Today, I want to introduce you to the concept of a contrast community. Uh, So if you look at the slide, you have a contrast you have a, a dark background with a white font, right? And that, and that contrast of color is meant to bring focus to what it is that you're supposed to see. A contrast in the world of design is using opposites to capture your audience's attention and draw eyes to key parts of the message. So in design, we use shape, color, texture, uh, all to help draw contrast. The, co- the idea of a contrast community is that the community itself is to be a people that are challenged the values and beliefs that are incompatible with the kingdom of God. I was introduced to this concept uh, several years ago when I was reading a book called uh, Light to the Nations. Uh, uh, what's the name of it? Light to the Nations, The Missional Church and the Biblical Story by Michael Goheen, who is a professor in, uh, in Phoenix area. Uh, and what he's arguing is that the church is supposed to be, when the church is being its truest self, that the church is actually serving as a contrast to what you're seeing in the culture around it. So that in a, in a culture that is entitled, the church is a contrast community when it is selfless. That in a culture that is consumeristic, the church is a contrast community when it is generous. That in a culture of disillusionment, the church is a contrast community when it is filled with hope. That in a culture that is seeking pleasure, the church is a contrast community when it is pursuing joy. And that in a community or in a culture that is filled with prejudice and hatred, the church is a contrast community when it is seeking unity and reconciliation. And that last one is the one that we're going to see coming out of this particular passage here. Uh, so we're going to talk about reconciliation. We're going to talk about prejudice. We're talking about race. And I know the second those words come out of my mouth, right, that antenna I go up. I'm aware of that. Uh, and so I'm just going to name that reality. And here's the reality. The reality is that probably all of us, we're coming into conversations like this and we come from different starting points. And, and if we're honest, right, we're, we're coming either from a more conservative, politically conservative, because politics are so wrapped up into this conversation in our culture. We're coming either from a politically conservative or more politically liberal uh, vantage point. And so coming into, that, coming into a passage like this, we have certain reference points that automatically begin to filter. And the temptation for some of us is to immediately shut me out. Please don't shut me out. Um, one way or the other, right? Don't shut me out because Jesus has something to say to us about this. Uh, and it is a contrast to both sides. Uh, it, is, it stands in opposition to what we see coming from both sides. There's an imperative. The gospel is good news about salvation, but the gospel is also good news about how our lives are to be lived as a contrast to the world around us. Uh, so, what happens is that you have this vision, this guy by the name of Cornelius, he's praying. He's a godly guy. Uh, he, we're told that he loves the poor, that he's praying, that he's a God fear. That's a technical term for someone who is 
has affinity, religious affinity towards Judaism. Uh, And he is praying and an angel of God shows up. Uh, And this angel says, send for a man by the name of Peter. Now, strictly speaking, uh, Cornelius doesn't need Peter. Uh, If you follow kind of what's happening in the world right now, especially how the spirit of God is at work in predominantly Muslim context, you know that there are many stories of, of angels and visions where God shows up and like sh- and shares the gospel himself with people and folks are coming to faith in Christ. So this is a moment where we're honestly like the angel could have just presented the gospel to Cornelius himself and, and, and Cornelius could have come to faith. Peter did not need to be a part of the equation. Cornelius doesn't need Peter, but Peter needs Cornelius, right? There's something about Peter. There's something that Peter believed that, that Jesus wanted to challenge. And it wasn't just Peter. We see that it was also the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. Peter was suffering from prejudice. Uh, Peter had presuppositions about who Cornelius was before he had ever met Cornelius and his fellow Christians shared those prejudices. And Jesus is saying, my people don't play like that. That is not how the community that I am forming lives. And uh, so he challenges Peter. Peter needed Cornelius. All right, so what happens is that Jesus does three things in the story. Um, and I want you to recognize, I'm being real intentional, this is Jesus doing it because it's Jesus that brings the vision. It's Jesus's voice that is speaking to Peter. Uh, and what he does is he uncovers Peter's prejudice. He challenges Peter's prejudice and then he changes Peter's prejudice. Um, we're going we're gonna to go through the story really fast today. We're going to come back to the story because there's a lot happening in these verses. And we're going to come back and look at different angle of, of the evangelistic side and then the way the spirit works uh, in coming weeks. But today I want to focus on the idea of being a reconciled community, a contrast community. All right, so uh, what is prejudice? Prejudice is any time that we have this kind of preconceived notion about what we're experiencing. So for a little levity, uh, green eggs and ham. How many found green? All right, so you remember the story of green eggs and ham, right? So you've got this guy and this uh, really pesky individual by the name of Sam I Am shows up and says, you got to try these green eggs and ham. They're delicious. And he's like, dude, not in a house, not with a mouse, not in a boat, not with a goat. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I Am, right? So he's just like, I ain't having none of your green eggs and ham. He hasn't even tried them. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them, right? That's, that, and that's often how prejudice works. Peter in this passage has never met Cornelius, but Jesus knows that Peter needs to have a vision before these individuals show up. These visions are happening within a day of each other. Uh, now, so Peter's praying. That's important. Don't forget that. Peter's experiencing hospitality. Remember, we left him last week. He was staying at somebody else's house, Simon the Tanner. There's like a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about that, but we're going to leave that alone. Um, and so he's, he's, somebody is making him lunch. Okay, he's experiencing hospitality. That's important. Hold on to that. And he has this vision. The vision is of a sheep that comes down from heaven. It says he saw heaven opened up in something like a large sheep being brought down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And voice told Peter, get up, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. 
uh, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure in my life. And this vision happens three times. There's, a, there's a, another slide here with a picture of it uh, that if you can, I don't know if you can really tell, but, but I love this picture because Peter, the look of disgust on Peter's face is visceral, right? You get a sense of what it is that Peter must have been thinking at this particular point. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his book, the, in his, his uh, translation of the Bible, the message translates a passage, part of the passage this way. He says, you know, um, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this, visit and relax with people of another race. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. This is, this is Peter's context. This is who Peter is. Uh, and he's not alone, right? Chapter 11, when Peter's recounting what happened, everybody's like, you did what? You went into where? Uh, And Peter says, let me recount to you what happened. We're going to see that in a little bit. So we're all capable of coming, of having prejudice, right? Regional, let's let's just start with something easy, regional prejudice. Kate and I were rather surprised when we moved from Florida to New England uh, to see just how much prejudice and how much disdain and arrogance there was in New England for people living in the South. I mean, it was, it was kind of gross, to be honest with you at times. And this was even Christians. Um, can I tell you, right, that when we moved from the East Coast to California, we got lots of comments from people about moving to California, right? Some of y'all have family back East. You probably get those comments too, right, about living in California. Um, and can I just say, I'm going to really meddle now, right? I've heard some really, some very uh, passionate opinions by San Diegans about LA. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> All right. So, um, so we all have these kind of preconceived notions about things that are different. And if we're honest, if we're honest, we also have to recognize that this is a part of the culture of our country and our world, but, but we're in America. So let's kind of focus our attention here and recognize that this, the story of race, the story of ethnicity is a sad story for our country. That's not the only part of it, right? There's a lot of wonderful things about the United States, but this particular part is not so good. And we have to be willing to own that and name that, right? And if we don't own that and name that, then what's happening is we're not, it's not getting uncovered. We have to uncover it. And, and this is the hard part, church. We have to own that the church has been complicit in this. We have to own that. Right, and, and, and we can own that because we have a long line of, of, of fathers and mothers in the faith who were sinners. And Jesus loves us and he is making us more and more into his image. Right? It doesn't take away from Jesus's grace for us to say, the church has not had a great track record when it comes to these things. And because of that, we've not always been the contrast community. We've not always been able to have a voice that speaks against the beliefs and values that our society has had. So that's the first thing, right? The first thing is that Jesus has to uncover it. We have to uncover it. And that that might just be as simple as naming it. Secondly, Jesus challenges Peter. He challenges Peter. Um, Erwin Ince preached here not long ago last year. He says this, he says, Peter stands in need of some radical theological correction. Uh, He has to hear Jesus's non-discrimination clause. So this is what happens three times. Uh, Peter, there's his vision. Peter, get up and eat. No, thank you. I won't let anything unclean 
touch my body. Uh, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Peter, get up and eat. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. I don't want to touch that gross pig. Um, Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Now, get up and eat. Uh, can I just not? Because I don't like the taste of pig. It, I'm, I'm imagining that my mom told me that it's probably not good for me. And I just really, really, really don't want to do that, right? Um, Peter, for the last time, don't call anything clean, unclean that I've called clean. Go. By the way, there's somebody at the door. You better go answer it. Right? That's the vision. Three times Peter has to be told that this is what Jesus wants him to do. Jesus is challenging him. Jesus is getting up in his business. He's making him very uncomfortable, right? That image that we saw before, part of the reason why I'm sure that's because it shows you just the, the, what we can imagine is the visceral response that Peter has in this particular moment. So um, what happens is uh, the Peter, uh, these guys show up uh, and Peter says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I cannot call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you've sent for me? So Peter actually goes to Cornelius' house. Uh, this is part of the, the, the part of the passage that Dana did not read for us. But, but notice what he says there. I had this preconceived notion and Jesus challenged me in that. Right? He, he's told me that I can't hold that prejudice anymore. And this is the gospel at work. So this is one of the challenges that we have. This sometimes in the church, when we start talking about race and things like that, one of the common refrains that you hear back is, hey, can we just get back to the gospel? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Because two things are happening at the same time here. The gospel work that Peter is undergoing is the gospel work of sanctification. Right, The gospel work that Peter is experiencing is the work of Peter having the continual effects of sin in his life being peeled away. Uh, and so in this particular moment, it's Peter's views of Gentiles are being challenged. For Cornelius, there's also, also a gospel work going on. For Cornelius, it's the gospel work of salvation. Uh, for Cornelius needs to hear about Jesus. And Jesus delighted in having Peter be the one to share this good news with him. And so this is a beautiful story because you're actually seeing the, the, the two ways that the gospel is at work in the same situation with two different people. That's how powerful this good news is. It's good news about your salvation, but it's also good news that Jesus loves you too much to leave you the way that you are, Right? And so, thank you, Jen. And so, and so, this is the direction that Jesus is taking Peter in, but it's also the direction that Jesus is taking the church in. He wants them to be a contrast community. And so he's challenging their prejudice. So he, so he uncovers it. Peter, get up and eat. No thanks. Think again. Peter, I'm going to challenge you don't call unclean that which I have called clean. Now, I want you to, in the back of your mind, there's another time where Jesus and Peter have a conversation about clean and unclean in the upper room, right? Where, where Jesus is cleaning his feet and Peter says, you aren't cleaning my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't clean you, you have nothing to do with me. And so Peter says, what? 
clean all of me. But I, I gotta believe that as Peter's having this conversation with Jesus, that that thing is coming back. And he's like, oh, something's about to happen. I don't know that, but that'll be like one of those questions that I asked Peter's like, so did you make a connection there? Because that to me is such an obvious connection to be made. All right, so Jesus uncovers Peter's prejudice. He has to uncover our prejudice. Jesus challenges Peter's prejudice. He is challenging our prejudice. That's one of the interesting things that's happening right now in the church is that there are more authors and speakers and podcasters that are, that are doing that work. And it's not always comfortable. Okay. Let's just be honest about that, but it's important work. Uh, and then Jesus changes Peter's prejudice. Uh, says, listen to this. Peter, uh, this is verses 34 and 35. Peter began to speak. I now realize that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Do you, do you recognize, do you see the implications of what Peter says here? Before the vision, there was an implicit bias that Peter had against people like Cornelius. We're talking about Peter, okay? Like, Keys of the kingdom, head of the apostles, Peter. If Peter is able and needs this kind of gospel work in his heart, who do you and I think that we are, that we don't need that kind of gospel work in our hearts? Right? Peter was Jesus's closest friend on earth. If the guy that spends three years living life with Jesus needs that kind of gospel work, who do we think we are that we don't need that kind of work in our own hearts? And so what's the work that Jesus needs to do in our hearts? For some of us, for some of us, it's the work of uncovering. Uh, For some of us, it's the work of simply recognizing, oh, there's a problem. Uh, And for some of us, the, the work that needs to be done is maybe we've had our eyes opened to uh, the, the issues of prejudice, and, and, and this is certainly race, but it runs across many other, many other spectrums, right? We could talk about the church's response to the LGBT community. We could talk about race. We could talk about socioeconomic issues. Like this, this is multifaceted here, okay? Um, so uncover, a challenge, right? So this is where the church, where Jesus comes in and says, maybe you've seen the problem, but I want you to understand the depth of the problem. I want you to not minimize the problem and think, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, and then for some of us, maybe we've, it's been uncovered. Maybe it's been challenged. Maybe we've already experienced the change, but here's the problem, right? That it's easy to think we've arrived. Do you remember what happens to Peter in Galatians? So you have this vision. I mean, see, it's like an angel shows up. Holy Spirit, we're going to see in a week or two. Holy Spirit shows up in Cornelius' house. Without a doubt, Peter, the next chapter, is defending what happened. And then probably a year later, uh, he's with Paul. We read about this in Galatians 2. And some Gentile Christians show up and he's like, ah, I'm going to go sit over here with my Jewish friends. Don't mind me. Peter didn't arrive. Church, if Peter doesn't arrive, you and I are not going to arrive. 
So what do we do? Um, do, do you, I asked you to hold on to two things at the beginning. Do you remember what they were? What was Peter doing when the angel showed up? Praying. What was he experiencing? What was being offered to him? Hospitality, lunch, hospitality, right? Um, I believe that those are given to us in the passage in order to point the way. So some of you may know this. Many of you probably don't know this, but when I was in Boston, one of the things that I was doing was uh, doing intercultural development work with uh, Christian leaders. And so I got trained in this thing called the intercultural development inventory. uh, And that's actually how I got to know Irwin because he's trained in this instrument as well. So I've done hundreds of debriefs with Christian leaders all over the world uh, using this tool to help them understand how they understand and adapt to cultural differences and cultural commonality. And on a number of occasions, I've had the opportunity to do not just the first debrief, but the second debrief. So someone takes the instrument one time, I debrief them, and then a little while later, they take the instrument again, and I debrief them a second time. And on one occasion... Uh, this woman, a white woman, and that's important for the story. So I'm just kind of late. She's a white woman. Uh, I was debriefing her and she had made like remarkable progress, like really staggering progress in her ability to understand and adapt to cultural differences. And so I was curious as, you know, we're debriefing, we're talking. I was like, Hey, can you, what, what did you do? Like what, what happened that you think you've seen this kind of progress? And she, she told me was, well, I think that it was my, um, the, uh, her, her child, one of her kids was on a sports team where uh, she was the only, the, this mom and, and their child were the only white people on the team. Everybody else was a person of color. Uh, and this was in a, in a city on the East Coast, very diverse. So you're talking about, you know, black, Hispanic, uh, you know, Caribbean, uh, Asian, very, 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 very diverse, diverse community. Uh, and what she said was that I, it took some time, but I got invited into that community. Uh, I was accepted by that community. She experienced hospitality, right? She was brought in. And as she experienced the hospitality of the sports team and the diversity of the sports team, and she got to talk to people. And, and I didn't get the impression that they were having these like massive conversations about race. It was just like seeing things from their perspective that all of a sudden she was able to see things differently because she experienced hospitality. Books are great. I love a good book. I read a lot of books. A book by itself is not going to do it. Seminars are great. I have led seminars on this stuff. I like seminars. Seminar by itself is not going to do it. Podcasts, fantastic. I've spoken on podcasts about this. I've listened to podcasts about this. They're great. I love a good podcast. Podcasts are not going to do it. These things are not going to do it by themselves. I'm convinced, right, that in order for the church to be the contrast community that Jesus is calling it to be, that you and I have to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody who's different from us, right? That you actually have to be across a table, listening, not arguing, arguing, listening, doing life and trying to understand things from another perspective. Here's the dilemma, church, right? The dilemma is, can we be honest, right? This is not happening in the United States right now. We are very polarized. Uh, 
And you have on one side, any conversation about race on the, on the, on the conservative kind of political right is, you know, no, we don't even want to talk about that stuff, right? And you see, you know, different states and things that are doing things are just like, like, we're not even going to talk about this. And then on the left, what you have is, well, if you're not talking about this, you're against us, we're going to cancel, you're out. The gospel comes in and says, neither of those approaches are going to work. Right? The gospel comes in and says, we have to own it, but we're not going to cancel you because we're all sinners. So when the church, and let's be honest, let's be honest, the church right now in this particular moment in history, if we're mirroring anybody is we're mirroring the right more than we're mirroring the left. That's not entirely true for every church, but just kind of like big, big C church of America. We're kind of tilting right a little bit on this. Are we saying the same thing if we were tilting left? Okay, don't. Um, But the reality is that if we are mirroring the left or the right, we're not contrasting anything. But here's the really cool part. Are you listening? You ready for this? Okay. When we're mirroring Jesus, then we're being a contrast. You got that? When we mirror the left or we mirror the right, sorry, when we mirror the right or we mirror the left, I just realized I've been doing my right instead of your right. I'm sorry. That's like public speaking 101. I got to like invert that in my head. Um, when, we're, when, we're, when we're mirroring the left or we're mirroring the right, we're not, we're not a contrast. When we mirror Jesus, we're being a contrast community that he calls us to be. And so, uh, and so this is my, my, my invitation to you as a church. My invitation to you as a church, okay? Uh, find someone who's not like you. Uh, and that could be anything, right? That, that could be politically, socioeconomically, ethnically, uh, where they live, right? Uh, find someone who's not like you and just have coffee, have lunch, get to know one another. Because as you begin to do those simple things, we begin to become more and more the contrast community that Jesus is calling us to do. And that's part of what it looks like to do ministry in the world that we're in right now, right? People are writing off the church because we're not being a contrast community. I don't want the church to be written off. I actually think the church is really important. Jesus doesn't want the church written off. The church is how he's doing his work in the world. And so go get coffee with somebody. And if you want, the church will reimburse you. I just said it. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we'll reimburse you. Now, now please don't go to like Ironside, okay? Like, don't do that. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for... um, for the work that you did in Peter's heart and life. And Lord, we recognize that we're no different from him. We need that work in our heart and life too. Lord, we recognize that um, it is really easy for us to lose sight of the gospel truths that you've given us in your word when it comes to these things. Uh, And in the process, what ends up happening is that we reflect 
uh, we reflect the realities of our culture more than we reflect who you are. And so we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you've forgiven us. And then, Lord, we ask that you would please help us uh, to reflect Christ, uh, to reflect you, Lord Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, that we would be living uh, as your people here on earth and that you would uncover and challenge and change us in such a way that it is a contrast to the things that we see around us. Uh, Not a contrast in order to point fingers, not a contrast in order to condemn, but a contrast in order to show a more beautiful and excellent way, um, the way of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, um, anything that I've said this morning uh, with these difficult topics, anything that I've said that is contrary or, or a a hindrance to what you would have us be and do, please forgive me. But may the things that I've said that are true of you, would you, would you drive them deeply, 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 deeply into our hearts so much so that they change the way that we live in Jesus name we pray. Amen.